So at the first of every month, as a rule, we uh, take time out of our service to do, uh, take communion. The Bible talks about communion uh, and what it represents. And so I want to look at uh, Scripture, 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23 out of the Message Bible. Because we like to just give you just a little thumbnail sketch of what we're doing when we take communion. So this is Paul talking. He's talking in message terms from the Message Bible. So he says this, let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master himself and passed them on to you. The Master Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you might jot that down. When he took the bread, it represented his broken body. And then after supper, he did the same thing with the cup. And he said, this cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. And each time you drink this cup, remember me. What are we supposed to remember when we remember Jesus when we talk about the blood? Well, we remember this, that when he shed his blood, it paid for our sins and gave us a right to come boldly into his presence and receive forgiveness for all of the, the sin, the mistakes, uh, trespasses, whatever you want to call it in our life. It's a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. Sometimes we have to be reminded of these things. And so he said, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal time and time again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. In other words, he's saying, don't let this just be a ritual that we do. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be a part of? Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. If you give no thought, or worse, don't even care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you, even now, are listless and sick, and others have gone to an early grave. If we get this straightened now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. That's good news. Better be confronted by the master now than to face a fiery confrontation later. So what we're doing this morning is we're taking an evaluation of our lives. 
The broken body of Jesus, when his body was broken, it was for our healing. Well, when we come into this kind of uh, uh, situation where we're remembering the broken body of Jesus, this is a good time to appropriate the healing power of Jesus Christ into our physical bodies. I have received a healing from just taking communion years ago. I, uh, I had just said, you know, I'm going to appropriate the healing power of Jesus Christ into my body. I had been to six doctors. They, nobody knew what was going on in my body. And I was just, you know, I, I had gone to doctors, but they didn't know. Nothing was helping. And when I took communion, uh, that left immediately. Well, I say immediately, it was two days later. And it was gone. And so uh, that's part of the process of examining what we're doing here this morning. And then to take the blood and the cup, to take this cup, Bible calls it the cup of blessing. When we take this cup that's representative of Jesus' blood, it says, I'm remembering that all of my sins are forgiven. And I just have to say this, if you have not made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, when you take communion this morning, just say, I take this, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord, my sins are forgiven, and I am a child of God. That's how we, we on purpose do what we're doing. And we're not going to do it just because it's something we do once a month. We're doing it on purpose because it has benefit. So I'd like for you to just stand with me. And if the ushers will come and get the um, elements ready for us. Also, you will notice on the, on the tables there are jars. Uh, this, this time it has loaves and fishes written on it. This is an organization that helps feed the poor. And if we would read out of 1 Corinthians 11th chapter, if we go back and read part of parts, other parts that Paul wrote, he was talking about don't forget the poor. I mean, don't just rush in and just get the benefits for you. There are people that are poor out there. They don't have what they need, and we're going to be a part of helping them have what they need. And so it, we, we just have made it a practice to... Uh, as we go through the line, if you have some extra uh, finances that you would like to bless the poor with, uh, that's what these jars are for. So uh, let's go ahead and begin. And if uh, Eugene over here, uh, Murtis here, um, either one of you, just get the elements and uh, then we'll all partake of the elements together after you get them. You will notice there are two cups. Don't just get one, get two. We have the, the wafer in the bottom cup and we have the juice setting on top of it. So everybody is welcome. 
you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you are welcome to participate. Thank you, Lord. together we're going to do it according to your word it says we should remember the death of our Lord Jesus Christ the lamb that was slain to redeem us from the hand of the enemy and to bring the blessing from on high into our lives so we first of all we partake of the bread that's representative of this broken body of Jesus and we appropriate all of the benefits of the broken body of Jesus Christ. And now, Father, we uh, approached the representation of the blood of Jesus, which was so precious. The blood that purchased us out of the kingdom of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So we participate in this particular part of our salvation. We receive forgiveness, and we just declare that the righteousness of God is ours through the blood of Jesus. And we give you glory, Lord. Thank you for all the benefits of salvation. Thank you for all that you have done for us. We're just beginning to learn how much you actually did for us. And we are so grateful and so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, the ushers will come by your row, and if you will just... Um, if you want to give up your little cups, this is your opportunity. So you may be seated. How many of you were here last week when uh, Chip was here? Let me see your hands. Okay, a lot of you were. Did you enjoy what he had to say? Or did you say, oh, me? <laughs> well, for the last two... Um, Sundays, uh, we've had uh, two great men of God that have uh, given to us great sermons that I believe were foundational. And so today, I'm just going to pick up and kind of uh, 
jump off of what they have to say and maybe add to it a little bit. Uh, you know that uh, February is normally like the romantic month of the year. Now, it was always my favorite when my husband was alive, and I always look forward to that day when that 14th of February because I had great expectations. But I had to train him. You know, he didn't start out very romantic. And so I had to train him over the years to be romantic on that day, and he knew how much it meant to me. So I, I would always get something, you know. If, he, if I got a Valentine's card, I expected it to have money in it. And, uh, but he would send me flowers, or, you know, we'd go out to eat, or we'd do something. But uh, February is known as the Relationship Month. So uh, I, we're going to start kind of a series on relationships. It's, uh, my part's going to be relationships, the missing ingredient, because God is the one that initiated relationships. You know, there's something about being the manufacturer of something that you have a right to say how it works the best. So we're going to begin to learn that. So, Father, I just thank you for your precious holy word. I thank you, Father, that your word is life to us. It's instruction to us. It leads us on a path of life and light and peace and harmony and joy. So we're thanking you for your precious word. We take it seriously, what you have told us to do. And Holy Spirit, I thank you for utterance this morning. You put this in my heart. And now you just cause it to flow out into the hearts of your people that they will be able to understand and have revelation of it. And most of all, be a doer of it. A doer of the word. So, Father, I just thank you that you are in charge of this service. Let the word go forth like a two-edged sword that will divide between the spirit and the soul, the joints and the marrow, and be a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart in Jesus' name. And, Father, bore the ears out of your people that they can hear accurately what the Spirit of God is saying to them personally and to us as, an, as a church. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to start with a verse that you're very familiar with. Uh, you know, I've taught a lot on relationships. I wrote a book on relationships. Uh, if you haven't read it, well, I, I highly recommend it because uh, it has truths that the Lord revealed to me that changed my life and changed my relationship with my husband and every relationship. You know, some of us don't have mates anymore, but we still have relationships. And you know, there is a law regarding relationships, every single relationship that you can possibly have. And there is nobody in this place that doesn't have a relationship. So everything, everybody here, married or not, this is for you. 
So I want to start with Galatians 5. This was my base scripture in my book, but uh, we're going to take a little bit different direction than I uh, emphasized in my book, but it will have the same foundation. In Galatians 5, I'm going to start with verse 13. So you, brethren, were indeed called to freedom, only do not let your freedom be an incentive to your flesh and an opportunity or excuse for selfishness. But through love, you should serve one another. For the whole law, you should underline this, you should have an underlined in your Bible. The whole law concerning human relationships is complied with in one precept. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And since it's February, we could say you should love your spouse like, like you do yourself. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another in partisan strife, this is the culprit to relationships is, is strife. If you bite and devour one another in partisan strife, be careful that you and your whole fellowship or your, whole, your family, your home, be careful that your whole family, your home, are not consumed by one another. So we do know one thing for sure. The devil despises harmony. And he does not want strong homes or strong families. And so his, uh, his mode of operation is to try to bring strife in every relationship. So I'm not going to get a show of hands, but how many of you here have lived a strife-filled life up to this point? Yeah. Probably not a single one of us can say that because we have all been, we've all been in a relationship maybe that is not perfect. So we have, we're in this world with all these imperfect people. These inconsistent people, these immature people. We're in the world with these people that don't have a clue about relationships and we're just trying to figure it out. But you know, God didn't want us to just try to figure it out. He has the plan for relationships. He's the manufacturer. He wrote the book. And so we're going to take this seriously. Now, I don't know about you women, but I do know that sometimes men will look at uh, booklets that come along and, and instead of reading them, they'll try to figure out how to do it themselves. I don't know if you've all, run, anybody's run into anybody like that, but, um, you know, there is a manufacturer's handbook for relationships. So I guess I could just say that if you do it God's way, it's going to work. If you don't, it's not. So we're going to look at uh, the ingredient that makes a relationship work. So uh, I want to start with looking at Luke 6. 
And we're going to look at a lot of scriptures in Luke 6. Interestingly enough, Jesus talked a lot about relationships. And uh, in Luke 6, the last half of that chapter, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount, the last half of that chapter is about relationships. And he, uh, he points out some information that we should all internalize in our life if we're going to have successful relationships. And so let's, uh, I want to look starting in, um, let me find it real quick. Um, I want to start in verse, verse 37. So this is Jesus talking. And we're going to learn uh, in the next few minutes maybe one of the biggest culprits to strife in a relationship and see how we can uh, remedy it. So in verse 37, it says, Judge not, neither pronouncing judgment nor subjecting to censor, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and pronounce guilty, and you will not be condemned and pronounced guilty. Acquit and forgive and release, give up resentment, let it drop, and you will be acquitted and forgiven and released. So the first thing that we need to get out of this particular verse is what you sow, you're going to reap. So we're going to talk about uh, uh, some forms of judgment. Uh, I looked up the meaning of judgment, and it means to form an opinion or conclusion about something or give a verdict. And a verdict means an opinion or a judgment. So you might think, well, I, I'm not judgmental. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever labeled someone? Have you ever labeled someone stupid? Have you ever labeled someone as a controller? Have you ever labeled someone as a narcissist or lazy? When you label, when you put a label on someone, you have given a verdict over that person. And Jesus said it is pretty dangerous to do that to someone you're in relationship with or just someone that you know because when you label someone, you're always going to see them through that filter. And you know, the sad part about it is, once you label someone, it's really hard for them to get out from under that label in your eyes. So what does that do to relationships? Well, it causes you to focus on, would you put up Chip's black dot? Remember the sermon that Chip gave last week? You know, he, his whole sermon was about focusing on the negative instead of the white space. And how we are, we as humans, I mean our eyes go totally to the black dot. That's what we see. And that's the problem in many relationships is it's full of black dots. 
And that's all we can see, and we focus on those negative flaws in that person, and we leave all of the white space without even paying any attention to the white space. I mean, they may have a hundred good qualities, but all you see is that one little flaw. So Jesus addresses dots. Leave that up there for just a little bit. Jesus addressed, did you know Jesus had a sermon about dots? He called it something else, but this is his sermon about dots. So we're going to go on through uh, starting in verse 41 of chapter, of chapter 6. So why do you see the speck? that is in your brother's eye. But you do not notice or consider the beam of timber that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, brother, oh brother, allow me to take the speck out of your eye. When you yourself do not see the beam that's in your own eye, you actor, you pretender, you hypocrite. First, first, deal with and take the beam out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Uh, stop there. We won't go on for, for this right this minute. Uh, do you have the picture of the Thing that you didn't know what I was going to use it for. Okay, here we go. She was trying to figure out why I had all these different pictures. This is a beam or a timber that would be in someone's eye that was trying to take the speck out of someone else's eye. Now let me tell you the significance of what, what Jesus is talking about. I don't think he ever saw anybody with a literal beam in their eye. But he was comparing something. He was comparing the speck, the flaw, something that's in your, the, your brother's eye to what's in yours. And the difference between the two. So uh, here you are with a timber or a beam in your eye, but you're wanting to take the speck out of someone else's eye. So, the significance to me of a beam is this. Um, first of all, it had not to be there in the first place. Just pay attention to these things, and then I'll tell you what the beam is. It shouldn't be there in the first place. And secondly... If you have a beam in your eye, it's always going to be noticeable. The speck in somebody else's eye might not be very noticeable to people around them. But if you have a timber in your eye, it's going to be noticeable. And it's going to interfere with your ability to see correctly. I mean, I think it would cause you to stumble. And if you, get someone, if you get close enough to someone that has a speck in their eye, that beam is going to hurt them. 
up close. So what is that beam? That beam is a judgmental, critical spirit. It's the tendency to see the dots, not the white space. And the problem with, with the critical spirit is this. It doesn't do any good to the person you're trying to help. If you have a critical spirit, I can guarantee you, you will not be able to get the speck out of that person's eye. And truthfully, it's not your job to do it anyway. You know, I've had specks in my eyes. Most of us women probably have, because we wear mascara. We take it off at night, you know, there's these little chunks. They fall into our eye. You know, I have never gone to someone else and say, oh, I have this back in my eye, would you get it out for me? I say, I need to get it out. And I go to my magnifying mirror, and I get my Q-tip, and I start working on myself to get the speck out of my eye. But you know, there are people in the body of Christ, unfortunately, that think that they're a speck doctor. Or that they think they have a dot ministry of seeing dots and trying to fix dots in someone else's life. How's that working out for you? Has it ever been successful? Now, there's a time, I believe, I'm, you know, I'm, this is just uh, a little uh, bit of uh, time whenever you might have that opportunity, and that's when you're anointed by the Holy Spirit. But you know, the, the Bible talks about the five-fold ministry in Ephesians, the fifth cha uh, fourth, fourth chapter. Talks about the fivefold ministry. It's for the perfecting of the saints. That's the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the prophet, and which what did I leave out? Apostle. Those those are anointed by God for the perfecting of the saints. And they are not, you know, when they're not out from under the anointing. They are not qualified unless they're asked to help them. And then the anointing comes of counsel, the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might. So there are people that think that they have been anointed by God to straighten everybody up. I know none of you here are. You look as innocent as you can be. Nobody's punching each other, right? Okay, that's good. Let me just tell you what happens whenever you try to get the dot out of, or the speck out of someone else's eye when you are doing it with a critical spirit. It's going to hurt the individual. They're going to become defensive. And the black dot will probably get bigger. And um, the truth is, you can't keep someone else's law. You know, if I come to you and say, you need to do this, without the power of the Holy Spirit to do it, you can't keep the, somebody else's law. 
The reason is, is because it's on the outside. This is what Paul talked about in Romans, the seventh chapter. He says, the things that I want, when I was under the law, the things that the law said to do, I wound up not doing it. And the things the law said not to do, I wound up doing it. Oh, miserable man that I am. And then he ended that chapter with, but thank God, through Jesus Christ, that changed everything. What did it change? It put the law of God on the inside of his heart. And so instead of it being a law on the outside, it became his law that was on the inside. And that brings us to how can we see the specks out of other people's eyes? And let me just read, reread um, the last part of, of verse 42. So first take the beam out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. So that tells me it's possible for us to facilitate getting the speck out of someone else's eye. But we don't do it by a critical spirit or with a beam in our own eye. So how are we going to do it? It gets kind of frustrating if you try to do it man's way. But Jesus tells us how to do it in this chapter. So, uh, first of all, he, uh, when we go to verse 43, but don't go there yet, uh, put up that picture that Brad had. Okay, you remember this picture when Brad ministered and he talked about the, the root system of a tree? What's down in the root of the tree determines the convictions, the behavior, and the results. It all starts down underground. It starts with the root. Well, Jesus knew this, and he starts in verse 43 to give us a botany lesson. So if you will go ahead and put the botany lesson up there, on, starting in verse 43. And he says, four. So it, it, that kind of indicates that he is continuing. This is not a whole different subject. This is the same subject that he was talking about when he said, don't be looking for specks when you have a timber in your own eye. So in verse 43, he, he continues on with this thought. For there is no healthy tree that bears decayed, worthless, stale fruit, nor, on the other hand, does a decayed, worthless, sickly tree bear good fruit. Now, just leave that there for just a second. Just, just, just reiterate what he's saying. A good tree is going to produce good fruit. Y'all agree with that? Good tree, good fruit. Okay, a bad tree... Bad fruit. Now, where does the fruit come from? Does some of them just when they pop up say, oh, well, I think I'm going to have good fruit today. And then the next day, ah, uh, no, bad fruit. The fruit is determined from the root. And so this is what Jesus is saying. Uh, verse 44. 
For each tree is known and identified by its own fruit, good or bad. And then he says, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor is a cluster of grape picked from a bramble, bramble bush. You've got to have the right root. And then he explains it so we can understand it. And he starts talking about something that he's actually using the tree as an example of. Verse 45, the upright, honorable, intrinsically good man out of the good treasure stored in his heart produces what is upright, honorable, and in intrinsically good and the evil man out of the evil storehouse brings forth that which is depraved, wicked, and intrinsically evil for out of Put this on your refrigerator. Out of the abundance of the what? Heart. The mouth will speak. The behavior will come. The fruit will be produced. In from what's in the heart. What's good in the heart will produce good fruit. If what's decayed in the heart, it's going to be decayed fruit. Jesus was talking about the heart. And so what he was saying, I'm just going to kind of uh, put it in a nutshell, what he was saying of all of this that we've studied so far is, if you have a speck or a timber, the only way you're going to get it out is to affect the heart of a person. If you're in relationship with someone that is full of black dots. And all you've ever seen is the black dots. How can you get those black dots out of their life? Is it possible? Hmm. Jesus has a way. Are you ready for this? You ready for the way? You want to change people that you're in relationship with? You're going to have to affect their heart if you're going to change someone. So, go back to verse 27. Jesus still speaking. And he said, I, But I say to you who are listening now to me, in order to heed and make it a practice. Now, you first have to hear it. Secondly, you have to practice it. The hearing is easy. The practicing is where the success comes. So then he says this, L-O-V-E. Remember what we talked about in Galatians 5, 14? The whole law concerning human relationships is compiled in one, 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 one precept. Love. And now Jesus is telling us what to do. He's saying, love your enemies. What? Is that even possible? Treat well. Do good to. Act nobly towards those who detest you and pursue you with hatred. Invoke blessings upon and pray for the happiness of those who curse you. 
employ God's blessing favor upon those who abuse you, who revile you, who reproach you, who disparage you, and high-handedly misuse you. Now, I've described to you people that are full of dots, black dots, hurtful dots. But Jesus is telling us, why is he telling us to love them? Hmm. He also says in verse 35, but love your enemies and be kind and do good, doing favors so that someone deprives benefit from them and lend, expecting and hoping for nothing in return, but considering nothing is lost and despairing of no one. And despairing of no one? That means everybody could be changed. And then your recompense or reward. There is a reward out of all of this. Will be great, rich, strong, intense, and abundant. And you will be like the sons of the Most High, for he is kind and charitable and good to the ungrateful and the selfish and the wicked. So God is, or Jesus is asking us to do something that sometimes it feels really impossible. How could this possibly work? Well, he tells us in verse 31 and 32. He said, and as you would like and desire that men would do to you, do exactly so to them. Now, you know, we started with judge not that you be not judged. He's talking about a principle. This is a principle of the kingdom of God. What you sow, you're going to reap. And he says this, what you will, the way you like people to treat you Treat those that are full of dots and have specks. Treat them the way you want to be treated. And then this is a key verse right here. Verse 32. If you merely love those that love you. Okay, so it feels really good to be loved. But not everybody's going to love you. Unfortunately. They don't know you, so they're not going to love you. So um, it's easy to love those that love you, right? And then it says this, interesting. For even the very sinners love their lovers, those who love them. So here we have... The, one of the greatest sinners, Emmanuel, come up here. <laughs> you know I'm kidding, but, but look, okay, so here's a man that has dots all over him. And we would tend to see all those dots, and we would maybe try to stay away from him, or say something bad about him, or label him as the dot man. And, uh, but the Bible says that this man with all these dots all over him will, will love someone who loves them. 
So if I want dot man to love me, treat me good, treat me like I want to be treated, then I would have to love him. So what does that create on the inside of him? It changes his heart. So that now he's feeling love towards me. And God has the ability then to de-dot him. Thank you. Let's give him a hand. But there is a principle here that we have to realize if we're going to have good relationships. You sow what you want to reap. You don't revile when somebody reviles you. You don't revile back or give a tongue lashing back when they tongue lash you. Instead, Jesus said, hey, what did he say to do? He said, love your enemies, bless your enemies, do good to your enemies, and pray for your enemies. That's a four-part plan. Let me go over it again. Love those that despitefully use you. Love them. Pray for them. Bless them. Do good to them. Does that work? Well, years ago, when Pastor was going to uh, Rama Bible Training Center, and I was working at Cameron Corporation, uh, I was a receptionist. It was a manufacturing company. And I was a receptionist. And the man, the boss that was over me was the bookkeeper. And so I answered directly to him. And so he would bring me uh, different projects to type and so on. And uh, a lot of you have heard this story, but if you've read my book, it's in it. But uh, some of you haven't. But this is how the Lord introduced me to this concept. So one day, he brought, he brought me uh, several things to type, and I typed it up. You know, I put a paper clip on it, took it to his desk, laid it on his desk. A few minutes, few minutes later, he came to the door, and he said, Margaret, come in here. And I went in there, and he, he grabbed those papers, and he waved them in front of me, and he said, don't ever do this again. And I said, what did I do? And he said, do you see that paper clip? I want the big side up, not the little side. Big side up. You got it? I said, yeah, I got it. And I saw all these dots all over him. And I went home, and I threw myself on the bed, and I cried. And I thought, God, if I can't please him with paper clips, I'll never please him. And I was just bawling and sobbing, and I said, God, please give me another job. Get me away from that man. I mean, he was just, nobody really liked him very well. He was so grouchy. And you know, I was falling right in with him. And then I heard the Lord say to me, and I knew he wasn't going to let me quit my job. And I heard him say this, 
would you be willing to let me show you your boss the way I see him? And I said, okay. It's not good to argue with God. I said, okay. And so he, sh he showed me this little... He had told me that he had been called into the ministry years ago. And he had decided not to. He was a chain smoker, skinny, shriveled up, grouchy. Nobody liked him. And when I started seeing this man through God's eyes... Compassion started rising up on the inside of me. And lo and behold, I felt a love for that man. The next day, I went to work. And, you know, a critical spirit is noticeable. But love is also noticeable. Love is tangible. People feel it. Even before you say anything or before you do anything, they feel it. They know it. And I don't know what he, heard, he saw, but from that day forth, he started favoring me. He was never grouchy with me again. If, I had a, if, I, if he had some extra work, he would call me and want me to work so I could get some extra money. And when, we, when Charlie graduated from Ramah and we were getting ready to move, he called me in and he said, Margaret... Uh, I know you haven't been here a full year, but we normally give people a paid vacation after they've been here for a year. Even though you haven't been here for a year, we're going to give you the equivalent bonus of a paid vacation. And a crotchety, grouchy old bookkeeper began to love those that love them. And I found that principle works. Instead of digging down into someone's eyes and trying to find out how we can change them, the missing ingredient <clears throat> is love. And so I want to end with uh, Luke 6, 47 through 49. See, this is all, all the same sermon that Jesus is preaching. He just got through talking about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's talking about all these things that we should do in relationships. And now he says this, for everyone who comes to me and listens to my words in order to heed the teaching and does them, underline that, I will show you what he's like. So he says, there is a group of people that hear what I have to say, but they don't just hear it and go away and say, wow, that was a good sermon. Wow, isn't Jesus great? Oh, my goodness. I just, you know, it just kept my attention. No. He said, you came to hear, but this group of people are people that's going to do something. They're going to do it. And he says, this is what it's going to be like. He's going to be like a man building a house who dug and went down deep and laid a foundation. So we were talking about the root system. Root system and foundation are one and the same, just different analogies. And built it on the rock, and when the flood came, arose, the torrent broke against that house or relationship and could not shake or move it. 
because it had been securely built and founded on a rock. But this other group, they merely hear, but they do not practice doing my word. See, this is where we may, it makes or breaks us. When we get in the trenches, when it's time to, to do something, we default sometimes to our former behavior because we've not built the right foundation. And so he who merely hears and does not practice doing my words is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation against which the torrent burst and immediately it collapsed and fell and the breaking and the ruin of the house was great. Now I want you to stand with me while we read this out of the Message Bible. Go ahead and stand. <clears throat> so I just want, you know, what Jesus is saying in these last verses is that relationships built without a foundation of love, those relationships are fragile. Storms are going to come. Storms came to both houses. Only one stood. The one that had the missing ingredient. One stood. So this is what, how the message renders it. Why are you so polite with me always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, amen, but never doing a thing I tell you? These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life. They're not just homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. If you work the words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of this house on bedrock. When the river bursts its banks and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation. When the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. So I've shared with you <clears throat> this morning the missing ingredient to relationships. When God created Adam and Eve, he said, this is good. It's good until sin came in. And with sin came selfishness, the destroyer of God's kind of love. The missing ingredient is so, is so often in families, in relationships, in churches is learning how to love. It's a big subject. We just touched on it today. I want you to bow your head, heads, and uh, <clears throat> this is what I feel like the Spirit of God would have us do. Examine your relationships. Is there a relationship in your life that needs to change?
uh, that there needs to be something done in that relationship. Let me see your hands. Keep your, hand, your heads bowed, but just raise your hands if there are people in relationship with you. Hey, there's many of you here that you have a relationship that needs to be fine-tuned. My suggestion is that you will go to Philippians, the first chapter, verses 9 through 11. I like it out of the Amplified Bible. And begin to pray that prayer over yourself in relationship to the one that you're struggling with. And it basically says, Lord, I pray that your love will be developed more and more in my life and come to full outward manifestation so that I can learn to sense what is vital and a proven prize, what is highest and best and of greatest value. That I can approach the day of Jesus Christ not stumbling or causing others to stumble. That I can be filled with fruit of righteousness. That's a prayer that God will answer. You have the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. You do. It's in there. But we have to develop it. How do we develop it? We build it into our lives. We build it into our lives like a smart carpenter. Build it into your life. And so what do we do with people that we're having trouble with? If we might even call them enemies. What do we do? Four-point plan. Let me hear you say it. Number one, love, pray, bless, do good. 